hottest man in the world. Proofcast takes you to eat their hair from the hut. Halifax's most enchanting comedy club. The Carlton, which usually just has music, but they're having comedy here tonight as part of the Halifax Comedy Festival. We're doing a live lobs cast right from here right now, and uh, it's a misty-ass maritime night here in Canada. Uh, we had two days of sunshine, and evidently that was enough. So it's been pissing rain all day like the day Jesus fucking died, and now, now it's just a fine mist that ruined my hair before the show and uh, covered my glasses. Um, this is the kind of weather that if you wear spectacles is the worst weather in the world because you just walk around going like, I can't see anything. <laughs> So I'd like to tell you what it looked like out on the street, but I really can't. Uh, there was a giant silver skyscraper across from this, which really lends a lot of mood. Uh, we're here in the gracious whatever it is district, uh, and uh, uh, it's, it's my third or fourth time at the Halifax Comedy Festival. I can't quite count. I think I'm here three times for the festival and one time for just a gig once. Uh, we did it here several years ago at the old Carlton, but they've redone the whole place. My goodness. This used to be kind of a, I don't know, it was yellow inside, as I recall. And I came in here for lunch one day and uh, um, had a bowl of attitude. And uh, I, um, no, I was joking. Uh, I, I've met the new owner, Karen, the old owner, Mike, uh, and everyone else that's ever owned this place tonight. So evidently... <laughs> The owners stay pretty close to this goddamn place, which ought to give you a warm feeling inside, knowing that, yes, exactly. Hooray for small businesses. And uh, I want to thank everybody at the festival before we get going. Uh, Christina and uh, Kim and uh, Michelle, who's been looking after me. Uh, Mark Critch is here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, one of the great Canadian comedy stars. The host of This Hour has 22 minutes. We were at the bar just now, uh, drinking, and uh, he... uh, we were talking about what's the worst name for a band in the world, and Mark Critch's name for the worst band in the world is Spam Javelin. <laughs> Mine is White Takeover. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, because it's what happened in my country. You see how that works. Uh, we've been here for a couple days, and uh, everyone's been so nice. Uh, uh, you know, Canada is, is so many things. It's a, it's a country. Uh, it's a city, uh, it's a forest, it's a river, it's a beaver, it's a maple, um, all those things. And then, of course, out here, uh, it's, it's lobsters. Uh, I ordered ha- uh, uh, ha- pan-fried haddock today, and it came with lobster. Uh, that's the kind of place that Halifax is. There's more lobster uh, than you can shake uh, an old fisherman at. It's really, uh, we're swimming in lobster here. Lamar et arrive all the goddamn time. Uh, and it's exciting. So far, I've had a lobster roll. And like I said, I ordered pan-fried haddock today, and it came with lobster on it. Because pan-fried haddock isn't rich. You want to pump it up a little with, after all the sauce and whatnot, throw a little lobster on there. Because there's kind of an hors d'oeuvre here in Nova Scotia. Um... And uh, I, something happened to me today at the restaurant, of course, that I went to. I can't remember the name of it. Five Fishes? Five Fish? Some, no, I, I don't think it was that one. Well, anyway, it's around the corner. It's just over there. Um, and uh, everyone's offering up the name of the place. There's not that many places in Halifax, you guys. And I, Honestly, after 10 o'clock, you might as well be in the fucking dark side of the moon because you're not going to get a fucking bite to eat here unless you go to a kebab shop or something. It's over. Over at 10. I've been thrown out of restaurants in Halifax at 9.59. So I sat down for lunch today, and they couldn't have been nicer, and she described all the dishes, and I said, what does everyone get? And she said, well, the pan-fried haddock's quite popular, and I'm like, well, I'll have that. And uh, so the chowder came after some time, and then the pan-fried haddock, I think it was 45 minutes, and I was like, I I said to her, "Um, is there, did, did I order during a shortage? Is there... Are you catching it how? Or what's happening back there? Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again because it bears repeating. Canada is a a city and a country 
with no sense of urgency. I've never seen anyone in Canada go, let's haul ass. We got to fucking get there now and make this happen. You could order food here and wait till the end of goddamn time. We were having drinks last night at the bar at the hotel and we ordered a round and the server came back 15 minutes later with the round and I went like, I thought we lost you. And she's like, no, I'm always here. And it's like, but what about our relationship? You came over, you asked for something and we chatted and now you're ghosting me. I don't know what happened, man. You split, I haven't seen you, then you come back with prizes and shit. What the hell? And the other thing that never happens in Canada is there's never what we call a free and easy pour. Um, this, this glass has been sitting here for a while, so there's ice melted in it. But if I order a double vodka here in Canada, which I do, um, someone takes out a little metal cup that measures one ounce, pours it in there, and then pours it in. Evidently, there's going to be a booze shortage here, even though during Prohibition, you supplied all the booze to this fucking world. The entirety of North America derived its booze from Canada, and that's why the Seagram family is so goddamn rich. But uh, evidently, you're doling it out one ounce at a time here. I've never seen a Canadian bartender just go like that. Uh, if you travel south of the border, and I don't mean Mexico, I mean uh, the United States, which is Canada's Mexico. You'll find that if you go to New York City and you order a couple of drinks, they're going to pour you a hearty fucking pour, right? Big ass drink. And then if you give them like $5, they pour you another big ass drink. And eventually they'll buy you around. Again, something that's never happened in Canada. Um, so uh, I find that very amusing because you couldn't be more polite. You couldn't be more diffident, let's be honest. Uh, this is the New Zealand of the, uh, uh, the, the Arctic. And people are, people are painfully shy here. You'll go hi to people and they'll go, I know. And you're like, really? I'm just saying hi. There's no commitment on your part. I don't have to be inside you. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's cool. I mean, what's the deal? How about a hearty, how do you do or whatever, eh? And, uh, but I, I adore that about you. Of course, that's what distinguishes Canada from all the other countries. That and your worship of fucking shitty donuts. The frosting falls off of Timmy's donuts. That frosting should adhere. The crowd's gone all quiet. You, people in the crowd are like, I didn't realize this show was going to be so controversial. We wouldn't have come out, eh? Fucking Proops is taking the piss. The fuck? I thought this was going to be like a celebration. I listened to the show that time. We're here for the Halifax Comedy Festival, which is a four-day affair, five-day affair. Um, I was in Bermuda earlier in the year um, because I'm extremely homophobic. And um, I, Bermuda uh, revoked gay marriage. They allowed gay marriage, and then their parliament revoked gay marriage, which is like I, the worst move you can... Hey, come to Bermuda, where you're not welcome. Who's next on the list of people we don't welcome? Uh, rich white people last. Um, and... Uh, that festival was a three-day affair with five comedians. That's a fucking small comedy festival. This one has several dozen comedians and takes five days. It's not on the bigger end, as they say. Um, the Edinburgh Festival, I think, in Montreal. Then there's, there's more comedians. You could throw a hand full of BBs down the street and hit comedians. Uh, there's so many bloody comedians. But here there's some. And uh, we did a gala last night, uh, and it was grand fun over at the casino. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the casino here, but yesterday um, two people died of depression standing outside. 
Canada doesn't have like swinging casinos with smoking inside and acts in the lounge and shit like that. I've played casinos in Saskatoon, uh, Regina, uh, Kelowna, uh, uh, outside of Tio, whatever that one's called, Casino Rama. Uh, and not once have I ever seen anyone smile or laugh out loud in a casino in Canada. In the smoking area in some of the casinos is a weird cage outside the building. Like a cage. It, 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 this one here is just people standing out in front just looking at the ground. And you know why. But uh, 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 Canadian casinos are run by the government. So they make sure that the fun factor is minimal. Um, at no point are there showgirls. At no point is there any kind of band playing or anything like that. At no point does good music get played. You can watch a guy roll by with a walker and an oxygen tank spending the last few of his golden moments coughing up what's left of his life into a fucking penny slot machine. And if that doesn't lift your spirits and imbue you with a sense of wheel of fortune, oh my God, Dame Fate, smile upon me in this magic place. I couldn't get out of the goddamn room fast enough. We were also, by the way, locked in our green room last night. And I'm not kidding. There was a dozen comics in there. We were doing a, a TV show uh, for the Canadian uh, Broadcasting Carnality Corporation. And... In order to leave the room, a woman had to put her hand in a weird hand identification thing and then hit a code, and then the door opened. At one point, she left to go do something, and I was like, oh, I need to go out and use the... the, I'm sorry, I was going to say the loo, but we're in Canada. The washroom, eh? And uh, I'm like, oh, God. And someone went, you can't get out? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, we're trapped. We're all of us locked in this fucking room. And the only other form of egress was across the stage while people were taping. Which I considered doing. I considered just dashing across like Bigfoot, you know. And then keeping going, right? People would be like, did Greg Proops just crash someone else's set? And it's like, he had to take a leak. Um, so finally she came back and we were let out of the room. And I was like, there's a situation in here. I said, we better hope the TV doesn't burst into flames so that we're all trapped in a room and we can't get out and we all have to make egress through the stage. Uh, and, and the whole crowd all goes quiet. Greg, there's... <laughs> There's probably a rule or something, right? And like, you know, she was just doing her job, Greg. You're, you're coming down like a ton of loonies. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you should back off a little, right? Yeah, lock me in a room and see how fucking amused I am for a while. What are we, in an interrogation fucking lounge and shit? I don't have a bag of heroin up my ass. I'm not coming through through Montreal. Let's cool it. Set my people free. My comedian people, don't lock us in a room. And it was a new green room. Years before when we did the show, we were downstairs in a weird place and you could go outside and stuff like that. And last night, locked in a room uh, with no water. I had to ask for a bottle of water and someone went, oh, you want water? And then someone went, like, go get Greg water. And I thought, am I out of line being a diva? Is, <laughs> am I being fucking Mr. Am I Bruce Springsteen right now? Hey, the boss wants water. I didn't think it was out of line, but they'd evidently run out. And so they went and got, I'm not kidding, four bottles, brought them down the hall and handed me one. And I was like holding it like this the rest of the night. And again, all of you were like, you know, you could have gone to the, the, the washroom and filled a glass. Why do you feel you're special and need bottled water? What are you, in the Canadian Opera? The Halifax Memorial Opera. Don Giovanni in with cod <laughs> and shit like that. We're in Toronto later in the year, and uh, that'll be fun uh, for a festival there. I should remember that. 
I should remember where I'm going. That would be very important in my life. I wander through my life like a guest. Right? You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, where am I? And then you're like, oh, here, right. And then I'm like, will someone bring me food? And then, as you've heard, sometimes I'm locked in a room with other comedians. At that point, I become amazingly demanding and order water. I didn't ask for, like, a rail of Coke. You know, it wasn't like, proofs doesn't go on till there's Coke. I... Uh, there, there were some beers in a container and whatnot, but I'm not a big, uh, I just don't, you know, hey. Uh, can, speaking of which, uh, can I order another uh, vodka if I get a chance? Thank you. Can someone here who's working, is anyone working here? Now, I'm going to set a timer right now. I'm starting it right now. We're at two seconds right now. When the vodka arrives, I'm going to let you know how long it took to get here, ladies and gentlemen. And you, the audience, can decide whether my fucking musings on Canada are inaccurate or not. Uh, we're here, and then we're back in uh, L.A. at the Bar Lubitsch on the 2nd of May. That's a free show. Then the, 20, uh, the 16th, we'll be at the... Um, uh, Cinef- uh, sorry, we'll be at the Cinematheque uh, at the Grauman's uh, Egyptian Theater in Los Angeles. We're showing Three Days of the Condor, which is an, uh, an awesome thriller with Faye Dunaway and Robert Redford. And uh, they have really bitchin' hair, and they're super, super sexy in it. And Max Vancito plays a hitman in it who's unforgettable. Oh, look at this. Look at the time on this. 47 seconds. Oh, Canada, my home and native land. Thank you for standing on guard for me and bringing it in 47 seconds. Oh, look at the poor. I figured if you could shame a bartender into pouring bigger, why not do it? That was the fastest order I've ever received in Canada and I thank you very much Carlton for doing that for me I was in a bar in New York with Mark Crawley the playwright and my wife Jennifer and my boyfriend Skip and we were (laughs) Mark Crawley took us to this bar his play The Boys in the Band is going to be opening on Broadway next month and um, it's the first like giant gay play in the United States and he's a a friend of ours and uh, he took us to this Irish place and the bartender had worked at Elaine's which was a famous boat in New York and I swear to God uh, the, the server came over and uh, she goes, uh, what do you want? And I said, I'll have vodka. Jennifer has wine. Bart had a you know, uh, non-alcoholic beer. And before I could turn my head back from her, the drinks had arrived at the table. That was the fastest I've ever seen any. And I thought, I like this place because this is where alcoholics gather to revel. It, there was no waiting at all. And it was very, very exciting. But 47 seconds is fucking impressive. I'll give you that much. You could win the Winter Olympics with that. Uh, then we'll be uh, in New York City at the Bell House on the 26th of May. Uh, at the, that'll be a fun one. That's always wild. We're not doing the Addison Improv uh, the uh, June 8th through 10th. I um, rescheduled that. That's going to be in August and uh, September. Oh, really, Greg? You rescheduled Dallas for August? Yeah, because I didn't want to go outside the whole time I was there. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, we're, instead, we're going to be at the, uh, on the 10th of uh, June at the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, where I'm, they're letting me host the, uh, for one more time, yeah, thank you, uh, 
Canada had a lot to do uh, with the Negro Leagues for a lot of reasons. Uh, for one thing, uh, Jackie Robinson was sent to Montreal uh, to play because uh, it was in the Brooklyn farm system when he was signed as the first uh, black ball player um, because they knew that he wouldn't get as much stick as he would in the United States if they'd sent him to the South. And Montreal won the little uh, World Series uh, of um, the high minors that year, and he was carried around the field by white people. And uh, that was a very significant moment in baseball history. Uh, and last year, it was um, Lee Smith, um, Dave Stewart, uh, who you may remember from the Toronto Blue Jays, 93 uh, squad, and uh, uh, Maury Wills, Tony Perez, Al Oliver, and uh, am I forgetting anybody? It was pretty wild, man. It was big. And I cried afterward. And this year, I'm not supposed to tell who it is, but Jim Rice is going to be there. So um, <laughs> I'm hosting that. And I opened with this last year. This, this sports company sponsors it, right? One of these, you know, sports corporations. Hey, Sports Corp, we're white guys named Mike with mustaches. We know what people like, Glarf. And uh, it went out on the radio in Kansas City, and I made a podcast out of it. And I opened with Good Evening, I'm the Designated White Guy. And all of the black players laughed, and the white people were like, really? And then... At the end of the show, the dude from the sports company wouldn't, sh he shook my hand with his left hand, and I almost said, hey, fuck you. <laughs> but I didn't. I was in too good of a mood. Uh, white people really take the fucking cake, don't they? <laughs> it's at a Negro League Museum event, inducting a bunch of black men into the fucking hall of game at the Negro League Museum, and I opened with, I'm the designated white guy. Stop looking at your phone. I get to look at mine. You don't get to look at yours. <laughs> Either take that shit outside or put it under the fucking table right now. I can see you. You're sitting right in front of me. Oh, yeah, I'm strict. Four years ago when we did the podcast here, it was a little looser, and they had let people in, and some douchewad at the bar was like, bah, 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 bah. and I said, hey, Bohunk, move that shit on. And everyone was like, really? You get to do that? And I'm like, fuck yeah. There, not only is there no table talk, you don't even get to think things I'm not thinking. I'm imbuing myself into your mind, you fuckers. Then we'll be in San Francisco uh, in June, uh, the 25th through the 27th. Uh, the 25th is the uh, podcast there in San Francisco at the Punchline, my home club. And uh, we're on the road with the Who's Line guys, uh, Ryan Stiles, uh, Jeff Davis, uh, uh, Joel Murray, uh, Bill Murray's younger brother, and uh, uh, Bob Durkach. Uh, we're, uh, Bob Durkach was the d musical director of Second City Toronto for 25 years. We've been lucky enough to have him for the last 18 years on the road. And uh, we're going to be all over the goddamn place. Um, we, uh, we, had, we did a week last week, and Ryan uh, took ill. Um, he, he swallowed um, some of his wealth and um, he couldn't he couldn't perform and so we, we awesomely awesomely at the very last minute we were in Evansville, Indiana and you're like where? I'm like really? I know where fucking Great Slave Lake is and I've been to Brandon, Manitoba so uh, we were in Evansville, Indiana and at the last minute at one in the morning uh, I called Dave Foley at his house and he went I go will you come here to Evansville and he's like yeah and he got on a plane and Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall sat in with a week, for a week with us it was so awesome He's such a genius. He goes, I haven't done improv in 30 years. And it was like, fuck you, you're funnier than all of us. He doesn't meet the height requirement, though. We're a tall group. I'm the shortest one in the group. I'm almost six feet tall. Joel's 6'1", Jeff's 6'3", and Ryan's, uh, what, eight foot five? With a nose you can take cover under during inclement weather. Colin is easily 6'2", or 6'3". Uh, Brad Sherwood, 6'4". Aisha Tyler, 6'1". Uh, Drew, 6'1". We're the tallest group in the world. We really are. We're giant. Uh, and Dave Foley came in there like a little fucking smurf just running around like a little munchkin. So funny. 
we'll be in St. Louis, Missouri on May 4th. We'll be in Kansas City, Missouri. Yes, we'll be going to the Negro League Museum to visit that day on May 5th. And Bob Kendrick, the president's uh, going to come see us that night. He's not the president of America, if only. Um, he's the president of the Negro League Museum. Uh, and if you haven't been, you should go. If you ever go to America. If you ever, if maybe something awful happens in your life and you're forced to go to Missouri. <laughs> Say you killed someone in a previous life and all of a sudden you're like, fuck, really, Missouri? Uh, by the way, the NAACP, uh, which is a, a, a black organization in America, as you know, for lots, uh, it has the archaic name of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People because of when it was established, has designated that the state of Missouri is not safe for black people to be in. Yeah, that happened uh, last year. And uh, yeah, yeah. And you're like, why? Um, you've heard of Ferguson. Uh, the police are armed in Missouri and they don't ask a lot of fucking questions. Uh, that's a shocking state of affairs, don't you think? That one of the states in the land of the free. So we'll be in Springfield, Missouri on the 6th. And I welcome you to come to that. And then May 8th, we're at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia. May 9th, we're in Augusta at the Bell Auditorium. May, that's a whites-only show. And then May 10th, I'm joking. I had to do an interview with a reporter from Augusta today, and she was so nice. And she went, my son loves you on the show. You know, and they're just charming. People in, in Georgia are so, so polite if you're white. And... Um, <laughs> They, no, no. There's a black woman running for uh, governor of Georgia, and uh, Stacey Abrams is her name, and uh, she will be, if she's elected, the first black woman governor in the history of the United States. Um, she's also, fantastically, $200,000 in debt, and she's made clean about that. And people are like, well, you can't be in office if you're in debt. Really? Look at Orange 45. Do you think the Deutsche Bank doesn't fucking own his soul? Do you think he gets to make a move without the Chinese going, no, 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 no. Then we'll be, I always say Augusta's a whites-only show because Augusta's the home of the Masters. The Masters is a giant white people affair that white people really like. It's called golf. And um, they wear really ugly clothes and they all gather around and they act fat. And um, so that's what, golf is for like older white guys who like, you know, sitting around and shit. And um, so... You, maybe you like golf, although how you would play it in this goddamn weather is beyond me. I'd lose chalk of the ball after 16 yards, after I shank it completely at a right angle, which I've done, by the way, from the tee. I've shanked a ball so hard that it didn't even go forward. It went straight that way, which I don't even think Pythagoras would be like, I don't know how you did that. He'd have like a chart out and shit. Him and Euclid would be, that's impossible. Uh... In any case, they play the Masters there, and Tiger was the first, as you recall, uh, black man to win the Masters, and uh, they let him put on the green jacket afterward, but that club was restricted for a long time, and that's why I make that awful joke, but I'm going to keep making it anyway, because the state of race relations in the United States is an absolutely shocking affair, not like Canada, where you've put the first black woman on uh, money up here, uh, because she was refused entrance to a theater here in Nova Scotia. <laughs> we'll get to her, uh, and we'll get to you in a minute. May 11th, we'll be in Charlotte, North Carolina. May 12th, uh, High Point, North Carolina. May 13th, Dallas, Texas. And then uh, later in the year, Calgary and Edmonton and shit like that. Just drop your glasses anywhere you like. I insist. I insist. Received a lot of lovely gifts here. Well, two. And um, we go all over the world and people bring us gifts here in Halifax. Two people. Um, but thank you very much for these. Dave Sherman, uh, his father was Joseph Sherman, the poet, um, and he gave me a button here. Did you make this, Dave? Matthew. What? My name's Matthew. Matthew, <laughs> will you ask Dave if he'll come up here and talk to me? 
Matthew, thank you. Matthew. It says moonshine, and it's a woman holding a jug with uh, three X's on it. And he, t- he tells me his father, Joseph, was a poet um, from right in this province. And uh, he wrote one poem, poetry book called American Standard, which is unusual since we're in Canada. Uh, and then another called Beautiful Veins, and another called Worried Into Being. Oh, that one looks interesting. Someone say stop. Okay. Okay. Uh, P for pond. We believe it's a muskrat we see swimming confidently across a tiny pond between Fanning Bank and the Jones Building. A small head tows a rippling contrail, and sometimes a determined tabby waits hopefully on the grassy verge for it to beach in what a cat would prefer to be shadow. The vestigial remnant of a century-old bog is barely large enough to offer respite to a single family of black scoters. And yet, this amphibious creature has claimed the small body of water for its own. A large rodent in a small pond, just large enough to fill a book for small children. That's lovely. Thank you for these, Matthew. And thank Dave as well. And the lovely Michelle gave me these at the bar earlier. Uh, The gift of vodka, which is always welcome. Uh, This is Blue Lobster Vodka, uh, made right here in Nova Scotia. Uh, And it says, what does it say? Okay, I'm going to have to... This is going to get ugly because you're going to see how fucking old I am because I have to take my glasses off and shine a light on the goddamn label. It says, small towns, small batches, tall tales. Well, I'll tell you one. I was sailing yesterday outside the casino. Small companies and local products have a distinct character, much like Nova Scotia's cultural traditions, varied coastlines, and help-wanted ads. <laughs> Commercial lobster fishermen from Ballantine's Cove and Tiganish County is looking to hire a helper for the... Su- How is it pronounced? Who gives a shit? <laughs> is looking to hire a helper for the summer... Basic requirements, sober, alert, willing to learn. Wow. Willing to learn. I want to be on a fishing vessel when I just learn how to be a fisherman. That's the moment when I want someone to hand me a giant squid and I have to put it on a hook and throw it over the side. And and then I never stop being sick. Uh, Nova Scotia Spirit Company is dedicated to producing quality spirits in a small town in small batches the job ad we found posted to our door captured a local story and uh, uh, I don't know if anyone else feels like they just took an Ambien that's so cute thank you for this Michelle it's so lovely and of course it says consigné La oula la loi le presque I don't want to say that I'm an alcoholic, but I've already had blue lobster vodka. And that's the awesomeness of my drinking problem. Is that I've actually had local vodka in Nova Scotia already. And it's such a nice vodka. It's really smooth and beautiful. She also gave me a book. Uh, called uh, A Train in Winter An Extraordinary Story of Women, Friendship and Survival in World War II by Caroline Moorhead On an icy morning in Paris in January 1940 On an icy morning in Paris in January 1943 I think Edward R. Murrow really Hey, um, uh, John No 
Dave's not here, man. John, will you play Count Basie, April in Paris? I'm going to give him a second to tee that shit up. Count Basie, April in Paris. Uh, a train in winter, let's see here. I love reviews because reviews are hilarious. I've been asked to review things. Before uh, um, they come out, you, you need a slug line on a, a blurb, right? So I've done it for a couple of people. And um, Chris Hart... Oh, we'll get right to it here. Here, turn that up a little bit. On an icy morning in Paris in January 1943, 230 French women resistors were rounded up from the Gestapo detention camps. And this is fucking depressing. Oh my God. You know, this is a comedy show. And I don't think any other comedy show dares to read the next sentence that I'm about to read. The only train in the four years of German occupation to take women of the resistance to a death camp. How's everyone's evening so far? Enjoy the lobster. Caroline Moorhead's remarkable book is the story of these women. It's about who they were, how and why they joined the resistance, how they were captured, their journey to Auschwitz, and their daily life in the death camps, and what it was like for the 49 survivors when they returned to France. A harrowing part of history, and ultimately, thank you very much for this, Michelle. It's absolutely lovely. Um, And it reminds us that, as um, Victoria Brownworth um, says uh, on her Twitter site, and she's uh, quite a good, she goes on the Twitter handle, VA Box, um, Courage is a quality we should all adopt. It's very difficult to be courageous all the time. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we live in a time, particularly in my country, um, where it's important to speak up and be heard because the rising tide of fascism is on us now. It's not a a theory. It's not, oh, something uh, bad might happen. Um, We have mass deportations in my country already. The ICE agents are swooping around and uh, picking up people who have lived in the country legally for years who may not have papers or anything like that. Um, The the, uh, rise in hate crimes has been extensive. Um, We've had uh, mass shootings uh, based on people who were triggered uh, by Orange 45's uh, rhetoric of hate. Um, The Justice Department has suspended basically almost all civil rights that it possibly could. The Secretary of Education um, has uh, tried to dismantle the Department of Education and the protections afforded to women under Title IX. Um, The uh, uh, Secretary of the the, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency has tried to dismantle all of uh, the environmental protections that have been set in place for the last 40 years since Nixon, who started the EPA. uh, and, and that's a national security threat. It's a world security threat. The idea of climate change um, is a real idea. It's science. It's not a theory. It's not something we can argue about. People who come at you and go like, well, the jury's still out. No, the jury's not out. There's evolution and there's climate change. And if you don't think there is, you're a moron, okay? And you really need to rethink your stance on this stuff. I'll argue with you over, like, who was the best third baseman that ever played on the Jays or whatever. And if you say it's Kelly Gruber, we might get into an argument about this. But thank you. But if... but. There's some things you can't argue. And uh, an anti-science, anti-intellectual, anti-human, anti-LGBT, anti-women, racist administration is a clarion call to arms. I know that everyone in this room is like, we don't have to deal with that. No, not as much. But a lot of people listen to this show in America. And I'm urging them um, to stand up right now. You want to be on the right side of history. Um, When they send 250 women uh, to an internment camp, that can happen. Um, I'm not not, uh, sounding the alarm. 
alarm and that everything's worse than it ever could be and all that shit. No, of course, we've had presidents who are more racist. (laughs) For instance, before the Civil War uh, and right after. Andrew Johnson, Woodrow Wilson, who was president during World War I, who was incapacitated for a good deal of his two terms, and his uh, wife Edith took over the country, uh, de facto president, the first female de facto president of the United States, was a screaming racist and uh, didn't want to give the veterans any money. Does that sound familiar to you? Um, you saw that the uh, uh, Orange 45 appointed a doctor, his personal doctor at the White House, Ronnie Jackson, uh, to be the head of the Veterans Administration, and it's come out this week that he was handing out pills to everyone, that he got shit-faced on booze in the daytime, and that he pounded on women's doors to try to get them to open their fucking doors when he was drunk. And so he's been removed as the nominee to the head of the Veterans Administration. And you're thinking, well, why would you put someone like that forward? You're thinking about it wrong. With this group, that's why he was put forward. The most malfeasant, most corrupt, most inept, most uh, uh, incompetent, uh, the the most uh, venal, uh, greedy, horrible, awful people. That's who he surrounds himself with. When he goes, I only have the best people. Only the best people. He said the other day, all the best people are trying to get a job at the White House. No, they're not. People are running from the White House in droves. That's why we don't have a state department. Uh, So what I'm saying is, it's really a good time to register to vote. And if you can't register to vote, then maybe uh, you could do something else, like send an email to somebody or something like that. The most minor thing you can do, fivecalls.com uh, or five calls on Twitter will let you know different things to uh, call about. Um, uh, she should run. If you're a woman, you might want to think about running for office. There's 300 women running for the offices this year. Mind you, there's 1,200 men. But uh, there's more women running than there ever have been before, and more young people are are registering to vote. So I believe things can change and will change and are changing as we speak here. Uh, But we've um, let this happen, and uh, the Russians have have swooped in, and uh, I believe – and if you're going to say, oh, Greg, you're crazy. You sound like someone who wears a tinfoil hat and lives in a van and rides around Halifax and tells that Bigfoot (laughs) killed John Lennon and shit. I'm not. Um, the Russians have taken over our government. I think it's real fucking clear. Um, we won't put sanctions up against him. He's going to have Putin to the White House. The other day he said he hadn't ever spent the night in Russia. This morning he called Fox and Friends. And in a meltdown equal to nobody since your grandfather started raging about how hockey got ruined when they let the first black guy play. Started screaming. Uh, I, I prefer to not talk about his behavior. Let's go to the salient point of what's going on with Orange 45. His personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, pled the Fifth Amendment, which means... Thank you, my precious love. Oh, look, a tiny little dinky, cute, adorable Canadian vodka. Uh, When you plead the Fifth Amendment, that means you're trying to find protection under the Constitution. My God, it's hot in here. Is it me or am I having menopause? And then Michelle also gave me this. Oh, John, I wanted you to cue something up. Um, Will you cue up uh, Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie? John? Okay. Uh, Michelle gave me this other uh, lovely embroidered item here. And uh, I have several embroideries at home uh, that different people have given me, and they're really, really fantastic. And it's David Bowie in every phase of his career. It's Aladdin Sane. It's Ziggy Stardust. It's um, uh, uh, the, when he wore the, um, the, oh, God, was it Kenzo? Who's the Japanese designer who did the big pants? Uh, it's really, really cute. And it says on it, there's a star man waiting in the sky. And it's a little David Bowie thing. And she said that for me. Thank you. John, you got that? You got that one queued up? Super, super fucking loud.
A lot of you are like, why should, why didn't you play Starman? I'd get up and dance, but you can't really dance to Bowie. Super loud, super loud. such a good song uh, Nickelback is still here Bowie's gone and Ted Nugent's still here boo I know that's what they say we're gonna start the show at any moment now we really I've got so much vodka here it's fantastic I'm gonna play three-dimensional Vulcan vodka chess with these the question is do I pour it all into one glass and I think the answer is yes put that over there stack a couple over there and that's how we go Uh, yeah usually there's a boring preachy part and that's going to be long tonight so we're going to get right into this thing here Um, what the fuck is that what kind of bullshit is this? Michelle, there's no page numbers on these. I'm all over the sh- I'm- They're in order, are they? Oh, okay, all right. Um, I guess I didn't put this one in. Uh, Bob Duro is swirling in the heavens. I don't know if you know who Bob Duro is. Did you guys have Schoolhouse Rock here on, on television? Well, then you remember Conjunction Junction, What's That Function? Yeah. Uh, Bob Duro wrote Three is a Magic Number. Bob Duro is a jazz singer, and uh, it's not a tragedy that he's gone. He was 94 years old. It's a triumph. Um, if you, I think if you make it past 90, you can't go like, oh, God, cut down on the prime. Um, it is, however, sad that he's gone, uh, but uh, Bob Duro was a really unique jazz artist. And let's see here. Even by the broad standards of jazz, Duro's career was anything but conventional. In addition to his work for children, he had gigs as an accompanist for comedian Lenny Bruce and a music director for boxer Sugar Ray Robinson when the latter was trying a new career as a song and dance man. During, uh, Duro was one of the few vocalists to record with Miles Davis, and they did a holiday album called Blue Christmas Xmas, To Whom It May Concern was um, saluted in Jingle Bell Rocks, Mitchell Cousins' 2013 documentary about Christmas music. Uh, As a jazz artist, he did not achieve great commercial success. Oh, fuck you. Although he put out nearly 30 solo albums, he wrote the lyrics to Coming Home Baby. His voice, his songs, and his hipsterous manner carried into his final years earned him a loyal following among aficionados of distinct offbeat entertainers um, like Blossom Deary. Blossom Deary did some of his songs. His work... And this is what I wanted to read you. Annie Ross from Lambert Hendrickson Ross, right? Uh, the great jazz trio. New York, I dig, right? Right? Um, wrote, his work is happy and humorous and swinging. Jazz is happy music, and Bob Duro makes it that way. Spin that three is a magic number there. Uh, you'll recognize his voice the minute you hear it. Yeah, turn that one up really loud. There's no dancing to this either, otherwise you have to do a child's dance. Three is a magic He's from Arkansas. Yes, it is. Slightly Arkansas accent. It's a magic number. 
somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity. By the way, this was written for children. Somewhere in the ancient mystic trinity. The past and the present and the future. Faith and hope and charity. The heart, the brain, and the body. Each three has a magic number. Well, it takes three legs to make a tripod or to make a table stand. It takes three wheels to make a vehicle called tricycle. If you turn this down just a little bit and keep it on. So Schoolhouse Rock um, came out when we were a lot of us were kids. And um, they had a lot of hip jazz singers do it, uh, like Jack Shelton and whatnot, and um, Bob Duro. And he wasn't, he was kind of not making a lot of money then. And he got approached and they went, hey, do you want to write kids songs for this network thing we're doing? These are interstitials in between cartoons and shit. And he was like, hell yeah. And so he wrote a bunch of these. And um, that, I think, is a grand legacy. To be imbued with jazz when you're a little kid is the most important part, because there's a lot of people who don't like jazz I have friends who say to me it's like they would never quit tuning out and I think um, um, you're wildly unsophisticated but I'm still gonna like you uh, so, yeah uh, we're in a music club here with a piano in the corner so uh, I venerate live music and Bob Duro but here's a jam that I want you to dig uh, by uh, Bob Duro he wrote with Dave Frischberg and Blossom Deary covered it and uh, Dave Frischberg covered it and Bob Duro covered it and Mel Torme covered it spin that I'm hip will you real loud well I'm hip I'm no square I'm alert, I'm awake, I'm aware. I am always on the scene. I'm making the rounds, digging the sounds. I read People magazine. I'm, I'm so, so hip. hip. Well, I'm dig, I'm in step. When it was hip to do hip, I was hip. I don't blow, but I'm a fan. A look at me swing, ring a ding ding. I even call my girlfriend man, I'm so hip. Every Saturday night With my suit button tied And my suede on I'ma get my kicks Digging those art different slicks With my shades on That's Cause I'm too much I'm a gas I am anything but middle class When I hang around the band I'm popping my thumbs Digging the drums Squares don't understand Why I flip Then I hip like I Fit that one down, man. That, yeah, that's a groovy chair, man. You can understand why I'd like that one. Uh, and like that. Instead of the subculture. Mm, all right. Okay. Michelle, it seems like the top of this has been chopped off. But I'll do it anyway because I will forge ahead with all alacrity. Bob Duro is an irreplaceable uh, member of the jazz scene and uh, we love him. Uh, and we're so glad that he lived so long and enjoyed some success. Um, jumping right into the boring preachy part, um, Toronto this week, something awful happened in Canada and uh, it was a really a shocking event. I had just arrived at the Toronto airport when I heard about it. Um, uh, a person who's one of these weird internet single guys who feels sorry for himself um, decided to uh, do a terrible act of destruction. And you have to understand, um, uh, when we call people crazy or when we say this and that, um, this is an act of terror. And white men are quite capable of committing more terror than anyone else you can possibly imagine. In my country, white men have uh, terrorized the country and killed more people than any outside 
a force ever in the history of the United States. There's no question about that. And that's what happened here. Um, uh, there was, however, great heroism and, of course, uh, a, a fantastic magnanimity from the people of Toronto and all over Canada uh, because of this. Um, Toronto Police Constable Ken Lamb refused to shoot the man. Um, and I love the global suspected of plowing a van. Yeah, I, I think we saw it on tape. Uh, he claimed to have a gun. The arrest was praised as a welcome example of police restraint in an era of chaos coming just minutes after the white rental van did its thing. The suspect shouted, kill me. The officer replied, Officer Lamb, Constable Lamb, said, no, get down. The suspect said, I have a gun in my pocket. And the officer responded, I don't care. Get down. Um, that is heroism. And a very beautiful moment uh, for the police because, uh, as you know, things uh, the Canadian uh, uh, global could not resist saying, of course, police in the United States have been criticized for being too quick uh, to pull the trigger after a series of high-profile police shootings and deaths of suspects during arrest. I'll go even further than that. Um, the police will just shoot anybody if they're black, no matter where they're standing, uh, whether they're in their yard, whether they're on the lawn, whether they have their hands up, whether they have their hands down, whether they have their hands on the dashboard, whether they're complying, whether or not they're doing anything. Um, it is standard operating procedure in the United States. Um, incel is uh, uh, one of these... Um, internet entities that white guys go on when they feel sorry for themselves. And their whole gig is they're full of self-loathing because no woman will let them inside them. And so they blame the women and they call them Chads and Cathy's and whatnot. I don't want to get too much into their psyche because I don't think it's very interesting. But you need to know that the internet is promoting this type of stuff incessantly and that white guys are going on it and, uh, and brooding over this time after time. This is an article uh, that Jennifer sent me from Elle. Instead of encouraging them to move on from their disappointments, the incel subculture encourages young men to stew in their own bitterness. Instead of encouraging them to learn from their mistakes, the incel culture encourages young men to blame Chad and Stacy. I think I said Kathy. But especially Stacy for their lack of love and sex. Instead of encouraging those who need professional help to get it, incel culture tells young men their problems are unfixable. They're simply too ugly for anyone to ever love. So there's this weird combination of self-loathing and a call to violence uh, against women. And I can't think of anything more heinous uh, than that combination. It's a deadly platter. And uh, there's already enough misogyny and violence against women in the world without young men being encouraged online to do this. And they uh, venerate other murderers who've done these things, which is why I never say the name of killers, because... I don't think killers deserve to have their names said. If anything, all of the victims are blessed and beloved, and they are the ones that need to be remembered. The men who perpetrate these acts of violence uh, need to be erased from the, uh, the pages of history, but understood uh, that their motivation is allowed by the excessive white privilege that we allow um, all white uh, men to uh, swing their dick around the world and to enter every public space like they fucking own it and to kill who they want to kill, anyone they're afraid of, and all of that jazz. Because we don't allow that to people of color and we don't allow that to women. Um, we accept it from men and then we'll go, oh, they were mentally ill and they have these problems and oh my God, they're upbringing. Fuck you. And fuck your upbringing. And fuck how you You're responsible for your own actions in this world. 
And you really are. Speaking of which, the Waffle House in Memphis, you heard about it last week. James Shaw Jr. Uh, is a hero. James Shaw Jr. is the man who disarmed um, the white supremacist who shot that place up. If you've never been in the United States, let me explain something to you. Many of you have been to Florida, I'm sure. And therefore, yeah, you, you still get a laugh now. We laugh and we do tragedy. Um, uh, the, the Waffle House is a chain all through the United States, particularly the Midwest and the South. And having been in Tampa Bay, uh, in Florida, and gone to the Waffle House, what we call it in the United States is the Waffle House. Uh, when we go to the Waffle House, the Waffle House is a, is a fun place. Um, you can have the hash browns like eight different ways, with cheese, with eggs, with onion, blah, 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 blah. And often black people man the place, or poor white people, and often black people frequent the place. Uh, at 3.25 in the morning in Memphis, outside of Memphis, where this Waffle House was, it was all black people in there. Um, I went to the one in Tampa when I was doing a gig down there years ago, and um, the place was full of fucking snowbirds, as we call y'all. <laughs> Nothing but Canada plates in the car park, and, uh, or the parkade, if you will, and I know you will. Uh, and so I was in uh, the Waffle House with a bunch of Canadians, all eating hash browns and eggs quite happily. Um, this white guy decided to go in there with his AR-15, by the way, wearing a fatigue jacket and no trousers. He wasn't wearing pants. That's how out of control he was. And James Shaw Jr., the 29-year-old's actions are credited with saving numerous lives after the suspect, clad only in a green jacket, opened fire with an AR-15 at the Antioch Waffle House in Murfreesboro Pike. Murfreesboro is the site of an extraordinarily bloody battle during the Civil War as well. Um, Shaw Jr. rushed the gunman, grabbed the gun's barrel, pulled it away, and threw it over the Waffle House counter. He suffered a gunshot wound and burns from grabbing the gun's barrel. I'm sure you've seen the pictures of his arm. Shaw says he doesn't feel like a hero, because that's what heroes do. Like Constable Lamb and Mr. Shaw. He was only trying to stay alive. It feels selfish, he said. I was trying to get myself out. I saw the opportunity and I pretty much took it. Friends and family in the community disagree. He's a hero in my book, said Brennan McMurray, a longtime friend of Shaw's who was with him at the Waffle House. Um, if you want to donate to the victims of the Waffle House, the first thing James Shaw Jr. did was start a GoFundMe page for the victims of the shooting, the ones who were shot. And you can go see that. And uh, uh, Yasher Ali, uh, who's an internet presence and a writer and a journalist, started a GoFundMe page for Mr. Shaw Jr. If you wish to participate in life, um, you can uh, donate money to them there. I'm not asking for you to give them $1,000 or whatever, $5, whatever it is. Uh, and I'm not speaking to everyone here in Halifax as much as I'm directly addressing everyone in the United States, although it would be absolutely swank of you uh, to do something so lovely. I'm hoping there's a GoFundMe page for the victims of what happened in Toronto. The shocking part of the United States is that there has to be GoFundMe pages so that people can have medical help. Because that's the state of affairs in the United States. Um, our Congress, our Russian-controlled Congress and Senate, have only one thing in mind, and that's to give tax breaks to the wealthy. Um, other than that, there's, there's really no agenda other than racism, and it's nice. Uh, in Rolling Stone, Jamil Smith, who's quite a good writer, um, talks about in an article that you might want to read called Where Can We Be Black? After missing his bus last Thursday, Brennan Walker, a 14-year-old student in Rochester Hills, Michigan, tried to walk to school. His mother taking his phone away, and Walker was lost. He ended up at what most Americans would think was a safe thing to do, knock on a neighbor's door and ask for help. That same act cost Renisha McBride and Jonathan Farrell their lives. Those are two other previous black people who knocked on a door to ask for help and were shot by white people. Well, it almost caught Walker his. He told local reporters a white woman behaved as if she thought Walker was trying to break in. 
A white man, Jeffrey Ziegler, came downstairs with a gun. He took off running. He only heard the gunshot that meant to take his life before escaping. Now, you've heard about that one, and you've heard about this one. Many of us have seen the viral video shot in Philadelphia last week. The reason I'm going over this is I haven't done a podcast in a few days, so I have to catch up. Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson have been waiting in a Starbucks in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. I was in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia not three weeks ago, playing in Philly, and I went to eat at a little boat that I eat at there, a bistro, and I walked by the Starbucks uh, that these two black men were in. They were there for approximately two minutes before the manager called the police on them, and the police came and cuffed them and ejected them from that Starbucks for what we call in America waiting while black. I... Uh, was in a Starbucks the other day with Ryan Stiles and we didn't buy anything. We sat and we used the bathroom and no one called the fucking cops on us. <laughs> it's a state of affairs, you guys. Uh, there was no reason to charge the men with anything while waiting with blacks, so District Attorney Larry, Larry Krasner let them go. They were arrested. Um, the police officers violently arrested a black woman in a Waffle House in Suburban Mobile last Sunday. Um, an incident sparked by some combination of plastic forks and the word fuck. I heard the F-bomb, you can watch this video on YouTube if you wish, the, or on, on Twitter. The officer who initially laid hands on the woman and threw her on the floor says in one of the roughly 15 short video clips the woman's friend was able to capture. Um, the woman's top slips down during the tackle, leaving her breasts exposed for minutes as the trio of officers cuff her. Responding to the woman's distressed questions about why she's being treated this way, the officer shouts back, I'll break your arm. That's what I'm about to do. So, it's a reality. Um, I don't want to harsh your mellow, and I know you guys have all had a nice dinner here tonight, uh, but what the show is about, uh, as well as, of course, minor laughs in the first half, is um, <laughs> addressing these things. Um, white people can't be told enough what they're doing to the world. And white people can't be told enough that the systemic violence that we weigh upon everyone else is a reality in Canada as well. Everywhere in America and in Canada and all over the bloody world, white people get away with this stuff all the time. It feels like sometimes law enforcement is there to destroy uh, the rights of people of color and to stomp on the civil rights of people of color at the behest of the rich. And that's all the police are there for. You see in America when the cops come out um, to uh, uh, monitor a, a, a giant uh, public gathering, that they'll be wearing um, military gear and carrying military weapons and have military vehicles with them. We've armed the police in America to be a military to suppress um, our civil rights, and it's a terrible state of affairs. In York, PA, this happened this week. A golf club in Pennsylvania has apologized for calling police on a group of black women after the co-owner and his father said they were playing too slowly and refused to re uh, request to leave the course. Uh, a quartet of black women was playing in a foursome. And by the way, um, oh, the five, they're a larger part of local women known as Sisters of the Fairway. The group's been around for at least a decade, I and mean, all of its members are experienced players. Um, let's see here. Uh, at the second hole, a white man, his son co-owns the club, came up to them to complain they weren't keeping up with the pace of play. And the cops were called on a group of black women in a golf course in Pennsylvania because they were perceived to be playing too slowly. This is white male privilege. If you don't understand what white male privilege is, Donald Trump is white male privilege. He's absolutely underqualified. He has no qualifications to be the leader of the free world. Stephen Harper is white privilege. You follow what I'm saying here? When people who are mediocre people 
At least Stephen Harper had some background in politics. No, he's out. You get what I'm talking about. White privilege is that mediocre men are allowed to do anything they want, say anything they want, commit any acts they want, and that just carries on and everyone's like, oh, that's normal. It isn't normal. What needs to be normal is that women need to be put first, that women's rights need to be observed, that women's civil rights need to be observed, and that you oughtn't and mustn't call the police on five black women who've been playing the golf course for a decade who are all professional black. It doesn't matter who they are. The black woman at the Waffle House deserved more respect for that. If you want my opinion, and I'm about to fucking give it to you, <laughs> it's a slave state. And that's what America has been for 250 years. As I've said on the show, the Civil War was to perpetuate slavery. We didn't win the Civil War. The Civil War was fought so that slavery could be institutionalized in the prison system and by the police. It's a terrible realization, but it's what's fucking going on. Uh, now to the good news. Um, uh, for the second time in two months, thousands of students from across the country streamed out of class as part of national school walkout demand action on gun reform. This is from CNN. Even as Florida police investigated a fresh shooting that happened last week when we had our national walkout. You saw uh, on the uh, gi uh, giant gun control day that millions of people all over the United States walked out. We desire what Canada has, a, a, a modicum of sanity about guns. Um, we're not talking about taking guns away from everyone, although we should be. Um, and there's nothing in the Constitution that uh, assures anyone's right or guarantees anyone's right to carry an AR-15. Um, that deluded young man who shot up the Waffle House had already had a record of acting crazy and threatening to go different places he wanted to meet Trump. And um, there was no reason he should have possessed an AR-15 in any way, shape, or form. So it was imperative that the students of the United States who are taking the forefront on this, uh, by the way, Watch the middle-aged men in Congress who are wealthy and take money from donors and the National Rifle Association cower and quiver in terror and fear and try not to do anything uh, about what's happening uh, with the young people who uh, had their high school shut up and have every reason uh, to march. Friday's walkouts while drawing momentum from February's mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School. And by the way, Marjorie Stoneham Douglas was a complete badass. Uh, Martha, 1999 Columbine High School massacre in Colorado, which two gunmen killed 12 students and a teacher. Uh, many students across the country say not enough has been done to help prevent mass shootings. In Florida, freshman Ryan Cervantes pointed to Friday's shooting in Ocala, um, which is also home to the Big Daddy Don Garlitz um, Museum of Drag Racing. <laughs> to give you an idea of what America is about, there's a museum of drag racing. I went there years ago. And the woman said, are you going to go in or are you just going to go to the gift shop and buy some toys? And I said, I'm just going to go to the gift shop. I can't actually pay money to go into a museum of drag racing. So I bought a pecan bar and there I bought a cap. That's, and Swampy the Swamp Rat is the logo of the Ocala Big Daddy John Garlitz. Why Big Daddy John Garlitz thought Swampy the Swamp Rat was a good logo? I don't know what fucking corporate meeting took place and thought, you know what, we should have a logo. Let's have a swamp rat. And it's really a rat. And this is the exhilarating part of going to the gift shop at the Big Daddy John Garlitz Museum of Drag Racing. S small, medium, large, extra large, double extra large, triple extra large, quadruple extra large, wait for it, quintuple extra large. <laughs> Yeah, you get the idea about the clientele. <laughs> enough is enough. Children are dying. Children are being hurt. We won't stop. This is why. By the way, um, laws have been passed. In Florida, 
Governor Rick Scott, who's a complete charlatan, um, signed a gun bill called the Marjorie Stone and Douglas High School Public Safety Act. The minimum age to buy firearms is 21. By the way, it wasn't before that. Um, bans the sale and possession of bump fire stocks and adds 69 million in funding for mental health services in schools. Um, it's all very well that he did that, and it's a move, it's a step forward. He also is having um, teachers drilled on like um, gun safety and shit, which is not necessary. Teachers have too much on their plate already. They're not there to shoot bad guys. In Vermont, Governor Phil Scott, all white people are named Scott, evidently. And by the way, Nova Scotia, Scott's in your name. You're Nova Scotia. Banned bump stocks, limited the size of magazines, expanded background checks. Tammy Duckworth is a uh, senator in the United States. She's the first sitting senator in American history to give birth while in office. They had to make extra rules for her so she could bring her baby and then decide whether she was able to breastfeed while the Senate convened. Can you imagine this? Our republic is how old? 250 years. And we finally have a woman senator who gave birth. She's also a paraplegic from her time serving as an honored war hero in the Gulf. Um, Tammy Duckworth is a badass of the highest caliber. She, in her wheelchair, brought her newborn baby to the Senate this week. Tammy Jo Schultz. You may have heard about the um, uh, uh, Southwest Airline uh, a conflagration that happened last week. An, ex- an engine exploded on a Southwest flight. And Tammy Jo Schultz, by the way, you can go to the Huffington Post, and uh, there's a um, post there that says Tammy Jo Schultz and other female pilots. And you can go through all of them and talk about uh, – it, it's an article that talks about – um, different female pilots from all over the world and what badasses they are. Tammy Jill Schultz, the pilot who safely landed a stricken Southwest Airlines flight, is being praised for the cool-headed way she handled herself during the emergency. The 56-year-old Schultz, one of the first female fighter pilots in the Navy, calmly told air traffic control her plane was missing uh, and she needed ambulances on the runway. We have a part of the aircraft missing. We're going to need to slow down a bit, she told the controller. Um, the aircraft en route from New York to Dallas landed safely in Philly, and many of the passengers who'd been aboard sang Schultz's praises on social media. They made a movie of Sully, uh, the pilot who landed in New York in the river with Tom Cruise. One wonders if they'll make a movie using a middle-aged actress uh, playing Tammy Jo Schultz because she's a super badass of the highest caliber. And if you want to read the article in the HuffPo, uh, you can and see her as a Navy pilot. Um, what I'm getting at is there's a lot of heroic women out there and we're just now getting to the point where we're giving them any fucking credit whatso goddamn ever. <laughs> Swirling in the heavens is Vel Phillips, whose first name was Velvelia. Uh, Vel Valia, excuse me, blazed a trail for minorities and women at the first black woman to graduate from the University of Wisconsin Law School, the first woman to end, uh, to, and African-American elected to the Milwaukee Common Council, um, where she out, uh, introduced an ordinance to outlaw housing discrimination every 90 days for seven years until it was finally adopted in 1968. Every 90 days for seven years when she was on that Milwaukee Common Council, she introduced an ordinance to outlaw housing discrimination. So for seven years, the white men on the council in Milwaukee denied this because they didn't feel there needed to be equal housing because it didn't affect them. And uh, Arvell Phillips uh, pushed that forward. That's the kind of tenacity and stick to And every woman in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. And we'll get to Bill Cosby in a goddamn minute. <laughs> yeah. 
The Me Too movement is not a surprise to women because women have always known about Me Too. Because with women, it's always they thought me next. And there's not a woman in this room who hasn't been harassed. And I, I hesitate to even go into it because so many of us in our lives have been around people who've been abused or been abused ourselves. And men are often the perpetrators of this. Sometimes abetted by women, sometimes not. And men will dig in and never let anything move forward if it makes them uncomfortable. And you'll hear them complain loudly and longly about, oh, it used to be great in the old days. I'm telling you, nothing was that great in the old days except the music. Um, look at now. Yeah, and when uh, a, a guy just cleared his throat. And it reminds me of something from when I was a kid. Um, I went to see Pearl Bailey with my mother and father in 1974. Pearl Bailey was an African-American singer and actor, and she's absolutely superb. And she was made the ambassador of love by Richard Nixon, who adored her. And Pearl Bailey was giving a monologue about women and women's rights on stage when I saw her when I was 13. And a guy went <clears throat> in the audience, and she went, I love it when I hear a man clear his throat because that's how men cry. She also said, I've been to the White House so many times that from now on, whenever I mention the White House, I'm just going to say the house so all y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so through the whole evening, she'd go, the other day I was at the house. <laughs> Fucking fantastic. Uh, a Pearl Bailey movie you might enjoy is The Landlord with Bo Bridges from 1970. She was the first female judge in Milwaukee County, the first black judge in Wisconsin in 78. She was the first woman and first minority elected Wisconsin Secretary of State. Her social justice work is well known, but she left a less public legacy in the lessons she taught her children. And this is something that no man has ever said. I learned that from her. You have to do your best when the cameras aren't rolling. You have to digest your personal truths and from that standpoint, reach out to the world. Um, Val Phillips will be missed. Doris Ward is from uh, my, uh, my uh, bailiwick, San Francisco. Doris Ward was a, a member of the uh, city council, what we call in San Francisco, the board of supervisors in Milwaukee, the common council uh, and Chicago alderman uh, in Nova Scotia. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Doris Ward, a fierce advocate for racial and economic equality, the first African-American president of the Board of Supervisors, is swirling in the heavens. She started a lifelong fight for social justice with the NAACP in Indianapolis, opposing the Klan and starting her political career after moving to San Francisco. She won a seat on the board in 79, 11 years later became the first black to serve as a board president. She'd been the top vote-getter in the citywide election the previous November, and the top vote-getter got to be on the board, the president of the board. Uh, I remember Doris Ward. I remember voting for Doris Ward. Um, she wrote rent control legislation, fought for divestiture from investments in apartheid South Africa, and better oversight of police, and steadfastly pushed for more affordable housing. Nothing is more important than affordable housing and curtailing the police. Um, Doris Ward and Val Phillips are swirling in the heavens and they're heroes. Um, Bustle wrote this, and you may want to go on it here. Let's see here. Uh, oh, no, let's cut to this one here. Um, this is from Global. And since we're here in Halifax in Nova Scotia, and there hasn't been a laugh for a while, <laughs> Viola Desmond, 
a woman who stood up for the rights of black people in Nova Scotia and went to jail for it, was honored Thursday. Oh, this is from a month ago, obviously, but I have to talk about it while we're here. On a new $10 bill featuring her image. It was Desmond's sister, Wanda Robson, who was the, or Robson, who was the, given the honor of formally revealing the design of Canada's new $10 bill. Um, is this mine? She asked uh, the minister and then offered to hold it for her. And um, she joked, you're not getting it. Um, by the way, Miss Robeson lived through um, the explosion here in Halifax. I know for all of us here uh, that the explosion, which is a very salient moment in Halifax history and a very pertinent moment that you read about quite a lot if you go down to the wharf and the docks here, there was a giant explosion in Halifax. It seems so long ago that no one could remember it. Um, Viola Desmond's sister was there for it. And as her brother's still alive as well. He's over 100. Um, I say thank you. Our family will go down in history. In history, imagine that. Um, I was going to read with the white guy said, but we'll skip that. The Bill Alcho features <laughs> an image of Winnipeg's Canadian Museum of Human Rights, which I thought was an amazing thing that all y'all did in Winnipeg, as well as the, char- uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It should be in circulation by late 2018. Desmond played a seminal role in Canada's civil rights movement when on November 8th, 46, she went to see a movie at the Roseland Theatre in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia. After all, Nova Scotia's New Scotland to our American friends who are trying to puzzle out the Latin (laughs) while her car was getting fixed. She was 32 years old. She was dragged out of the theatre by police. I'll tell you the story in even more detail since I've read about it. She bought a ticket at the ticket booth for downstairs. But Negroes were forced to sit upstairs. So when she was downstairs, an usher came up to her and said, you can't sit down here. And Ms. Desmond went, look, I have a ticket. I bought it at the ticket booth, which cost, I think, a dime in 1946. And the usher was having none of it and called the cops. The cops came and she said, I have a ticket to sit down here. And they went, no, you don't. They cuffed her and dragged her out of the theater in New Glasgow. This is not ancient history. In 1946, her sister's still alive and her brother's still alive as well. If people are still alive and can tell the story, it's not ancient history. So this is Nova Scotia. This is Scotland. This is us as white people and our collective history and the things that we've done to other people. And it's important for us to understand that we have to move forward and that you might want to have a thought about it in your life as days go on. I'm not asking you to change the world. I'm just asking you to consider that there's other people sharing this space with us and you might want to think about them from time to time in your fucking white people world. You're going to love this part. The civil rights activist was convicted of defrauding the province of a one penny tax. I know what a lot of you are thinking. Now, Greg, last night when you asked for water and you couldn't get out of the room, there's rules here in Canada. She was supposed to sit in the balcony. Eh? Um, the difference of tax between a downstairs and an upstairs ticket, although she had been asked to pay the difference, she paid a $20 fine, $6 in court costs. She appealed her conviction and lost. Desmond's often described as Canada's Rosa Parks, but dig this. It was nine years before Parks uh, refused to give up her seat on an Alabama bus. Desmond's trailblazing efforts received little attention until recent years, but her legacy is being increasingly recognized. Her name now graces a Halifax Transit Harbor Ferry. 
uh, Canada Post stamp, and there are plans for streets named in her honor in Montreal and Halifax and a park in Toronto. If you want to read uh, the article, it's in Global, it's cbc.canada. Um, Nova Scotia Halifax explosion, Viola Desmond, Wanda Robeson disaster. You can read about um, a first-person account of the disaster by her sister. Um, in the United States, uh, let's see here. We're finally going to get Harriet Tubman on the bill. Um, a montage of women involved in the American suffrage movement, Lucretia Mott, Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and it's cut off at the end there. Um, we're finally going to get um, women on uh, our currency in the United States, and it's long, bloody overdue. Uh, the $5 bill will keep Abraham Lincoln on the front. The back of the bill will depict the Lincoln Memorial with portraits of individuals involved in historic events that took a place there. That took place there includes Marian Anderson, who was a black opera singer who was forbidden uh, to sing for the Daughters of the American Revolution, and Eleanor Roosevelt. The other greatest first lady of all time, besides Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama and Rosalind Carter, um, arranged for her to sing publicly at the Washington Monument. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt, the African-American opera singer and former first lady, held a concert at the Memorial in 39 to move the civil rights movement forward. Martin Luther King Jr. will be added to the back of the bill on the, on the Lincoln Five. The Lincoln Memorial was the site of his famous I Have a Dream speech in 1963. It's not clear when the 20 or 5 will enter circulation. Whatever. Uh, and like that, Beyonce. Beyonce did a concert at Coachella and, uh, a, a week ago, Beyonce. And uh, she gave an, a, a, a basically a, an educational class on black history. Um, she had a marching band come out. That's uh, to talk about black colleges in the United States and the history of black education. Spin a little of that Beyonce there. It was a sensation in the United States because the cloud that goes to Coachella is almost strictly white young people. And she was the first black woman to ever headline the festival. That's this year. Um, She said, thank you for letting me be the first black headliner to ever play this festival and ain't that a bitch um she did uh, girls run the world run the world girls here turn that up why does it sound so shit does that sound fuzzy to you Not only should she do that, you can turn that down a little. Um, She talked about what we call um, HBCU in the United States, which is historically black colleges and university. She did shout outs to every element of black culture over the last hundred years in the United States, 200 years, and then established a a scholarship program where she's going to give out money. Eligible students must be studying literature, creative arts, African-American studies, science, education, business communications, social sciences, computer sciences, engineering, and have a 3.5 GPA. That means a um, B plus in the United States. Um, so not only is she a badass, she established a scholarship fund as well and educated white people uh, that they need to understand what's going on in this era of white supremacists running the government. Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer Prize for Damn, his album. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with Kendrick Lamar. I'm certain you're familiar with Drake, uh, the great Canadian rapper, who, as uh, one of the comics pointed out last night, wasn't popular until he went to America, and then Canadians went, yeah, he is quite good. Um, 
A lot of white people will say things like, well, hip hop's not music because they're just talking. Um, I think we can uh, dispense with that. Um, let me ask you this, white people. When was the last rock or country album that was salient and that shook everyone with its unbelievably perceptive uh, poetry? Thank you. You've already answered the question because no one could even think of shit. Fuck all. Because there isn't. Hip-hop is the music that young white people enjoy. Hip-hop is the music that moves poetry forward. Hip-hop is the birth and origin of so much forward thought and uh, talking about social content uh, and uh, political content in the United States. Um, Kendrick Lamar uh, won the Pulitzer Prize and he's the first rapper to win. Let's see here. That's so funny. Uh, Clint Smith, uh, who's a black activist and a journalist on a Twitter, wrote, Black History Month every month, every day, all year. The reason is um, a black person directed um, Black Panther. It's made more money than Titanic. Beyonce schooled everyone at Coachella. And um, Kendrick Lamar won the Pulitzer Prize all in one week. I'm going to read you some of his lyrics, and I'm going to do them no justice whatsoever, and then we're going to play a little. Hail Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, the great American flag, is wrapped and dragged with explosives, compulsive disorder, sons and daughters barricaded blocks and borders. Look what you taught us. It's murder on my street, your street, back streets, Wall Street, corporate offices, banks, employees, and bosses with homicidal thoughts. Donald Trump's in office. We lost Barack and promised to never doubt him again. But is America honest or do we bask in sin? Pass the gin. I mix it with American blood. Then bash him in. You crippin or are you married to blood? I'll ask again. Oops, accident. It's nasty when you set us up. Then roll the dice. Then bet us up. You overnight the big rifles. Then tell Fox. That means Fox News. To be scared of us. Gang members or terrorists, etc., etc. America's reflections of me. That's what a mirror does. Will you spin a little of that triple X jam there? Yeah, this is the shit, you guys. I know you want to listen to fucking. Right? Oh, kittens. I'm only asking you, as En Vogue once did, to free your mind, and the rest will follow. There's poetry from every culture, and because we're in a place that's kind of white, it's important that you understand that. And um, after reading about Ms. Desmond's uh, travails here in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, uh, it should give you some perspective on this whole thing. Uh, Jennifer Palmieri wrote a book called Dear Madam President. I want to talk a little bit about what she said about... Oh, first of all, uh, Jacinda Ardern is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. She's uh, a woman, and she's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. She was at Buckingham Palace uh, for an event there. Now, there can't be a more um, solidified, stolid, and uh, entrenched bastion of white supremacy than the monarchy of the uh, country of England, um, who appears on your money, along with ducks. And... (laughs) 
and loons and whatnot. New Zealand Prime Minister proposed a toast to the future of the Commonwealth, of which I believe you are a member, uh, hosted by the Queen at Buckingham Palace. It is said the group of nations was uniquely placed to offer a strong voice on issues such as climate change, clean oceans, and democracy. Then she quoted a Wakatuauki proverb, that means Maori. What is the most important thing in the world? The people, the people, the people. I can't think of anything cooler uh, than uh, New Zealand having a woman prime minister, especially after some of the men they had that were educated at Harvard and whatnot. Um, I know you've had a female PM here, and um, Joe Clark, and <laughs> R. Kim Campbell, R. Kim Campbell, and uh, uh, America, of course, uh, because of what happened with the FBI, um, aided uh, social media abetted Facebook Cambridge Analytica Russian hacked voter suppressed white supremacist coup that we had in my country we turned out uh, the first woman who was the most qualified person that's ever run for president in my lifetime Um, yeah Hills Uh, Jennifer Palmieri wrote a book called Dear Madam President and she wrote it to the next woman president of America she didn't think her story mattered, Palmieri said. This is about Hillary. She was like, President Obama's story has meaning for the American people. So did my husband's, but mine didn't. And I think that's because we like our president's lives to tell the story of America and the American dream. And that just hasn't existed for women. Uh, Shimonda Ngozi Adiki is a Nigerian writer. And she's written many novels. Purple Hibiscus, Half of a Yellow Sun, Americana, the thing around her neck, and we should all be feminists from 2014. Um, She interviewed Hillary at an event uh, last week, and um, Hillary said this, no man who ever lost a presidential election was told to shut up and go away. This remains a serious challenge to women speaking up and speaking out. I hear the echoes going back thousands of years. Um, I love uh, uh, that she said that. And you all have to understand that it's going on in Canada as well. Your PM has done the right thing, uh, Monsieur Trudeau, in so much as um, making half the cabinet women. I know you have complaints about him, and I know you don't think he's done right by uh, the oil fields and by the um, First Nations people here, and a lot of other issues that are going on. His trip to India was, of course, wild. Uh, I believe he thought he was at a costume party, and uh, when he goes to Germany, I beg him not to wear a spiked helmet, but... And Lederhosen, but I'll trade you your leader for our leader any day of the week, or Monsieur Macron. Uh, uh, this is what Jennifer Palmieri, who was um, Hillary's communications director during the election, said about James Comey's book. You know who James Comey is? He was head of the FBI. Um, uh, um, Orange Forty Five fired him after asking for his fealty and loyalty. And if you recall, James Comey said not a word was said about Russian collusion when he was at the meeting with them. He brought it up, and everyone went. Oh. Which to me means our country is definitely taking orders, Manchurian candidate style. A friend of mine who's a Trump supporter told me I should call this piece Dear Madam Director because a female FBI director would never have made the same decisions he did. I think there's some truth to that. His ego clearly got in the way. Despite Comey's claims, he took actions he did to protect the FBI's reputation and make sure President Hillary Clinton wasn't elected under a cloud of suspicion. I suspect his concern was more about his own ego and protecting his own reputation from attacks from the Republican members of Congress. Well, look at who's in there now and how much cloud and suspicion they're under. This witch hunt, as we talk about. Um, I'm from San Francisco. 
and I know witches. There's, yeah, witches are real, you guys. 13 indictments and five guilty pleas is not a witch hunt. The president's um, personal lawyer pleading the Fifth Amendment, it's not a witch hunt. That's as close as you can get to the bone, or as Joni Mitchell said, to the skin and the bone and the eyes, and still not be related. Um, Jill Philippic wrote this in Women's Health. Toward the end of high school, a community group awarded me a small college scholarship and mailed out the list of winners and what we wanted to be when we grew up. Confident that elected office was the best route to changing the world, I listed United States Senator. A male classmate for whom I'd harbored a crush caught sight of the mailer and eyebrow raised said to me, Senator, isn't that a little ambitious? (laughs) There's nothing um, that men won't do to keep other people down. And what you need to do, and I'm talking to you gentlemen out there in the world, I need to do it too as much as you. And if you think I'm only virtue signaling, and if you think I'm only a, a privileged, white, rich, liberal, male dude, which I fucking admit freely to all of that, from the swirling vortex of baby-killing celebrity of Hollywood, um, it's still important um, for men to understand that you need to get your fucking mind right. You need to get right with fucking Jesus and understand that what's important in the world is pushing women forward and observing their rights. And I mean on a minute-to-minute goddamn basis. Don't denigrate them. When other dudes denigrate them around you, cut that shit out. And when women run for office, your job is to shut the fuck up and support them. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. As Marvin Gaye said, I'll tell you what's going on. And that's what's fucking going on. Um, Ambition in women is considered a terrible thing. Women are supposed to nurture and care. Heaven knows my wife has babied me and coddled me through our entire fucking relationship. The reason why I'm even able to sit here and fucking um, talk the smack that I do is because Jennifer has enabled me to do this. She supported me emotionally. She supported me intellectually. She's taught me everything I needed to know about feminism, women, history, what's going on, the dynamic. I made fun of women in my stand-up act, Britney Spears and whatnot, over the years. I've been terrible. And I've tried to learn from those things. And I'm sure there's a lot of men in the room here tonight. I've met most of you who are here with women. And the women in your life have done things for you that you wouldn't have done for anyone else. And maybe it's time you fucking think about that for two fucking seconds. Would you lick someone's balls and then make them breakfast? And then support them and go, no, you're going to do great today, honey. I believe in you. No, you fucking wouldn't. That's all I ask. As Tom Stoppard said, immortality is all I seek. Bill Cosby. Ever so, yes, yes, ever so briefly. He was convicted on three counts today. Um, let me just read them. Uh, oh, cock. Um, a very brave woman named Andrea Costand um, was able to um, sue him. Last year, as you recall, uh, there was a hung jury and he didn't get convicted. Three counts. 
Count one, without her consent. Count two, while she was unconscious. Count three, while she was intoxicated or drugs. Bill Cosby has an enormously long history of drugging women and sexually assaulting them. Now he's facing 10 years in jail. He won't get it. He'll probably get, I'm guessing, somewhere under two years. He's 80 years old. This should have happened... 40 years ago, it should have happened 30 years ago, it should have happened 20 years ago, it should have happened 10 years ago. I'll tell you something. I have friends in show business who are old, in their 70s, and they have shared with me that in 1970, it was known when he did a talk show that no woman was to be alone with him in a room. That's how long people have been covering for him. Everyone involved at NBC, everyone involved in the Cosby show. And by the way, I'll go further. The next person shouldn't just be Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, uh, uh, Charlie Rose, whoever you can think of. The president, the president is a sexual abuser, a serial sexual abuser who has gotten women pregnant over the years, who has had, as we know, confirmed affairs with adult film actresses, Playboy playmates and whatnot. While he was married, Christians have turned their heads away from this. Bill Cosby deserves to be incarcerated. He was my hero as a child. When I did not know any of this, when I was seven, eight, ten, it might have been the first comedy album I ever listened to. I memorized his routines. He was sophisticated and full of savoir faire. He was intellectual. His antecedents are Thurber and Mark Twain. Um, his mother was very intent on giving him as a single mother in Philadelphia and the projects an education. And he took that to the stage and was a sit-down comedian. What are you saying, Greg? It's imperative that we don't honor him anymore. It's imperative that he be punished for what he done did. It's imperative that that abuse of women the 62 women it took for this to happen. 62. And those are the only ones who've come forward. Obviously, it's a pattern that goes over hundreds and maybe thousands of women. And Hugh Hefner's involved in this who passed away and everyone was like, oh, Hugh Hefner was a swinging cat. Hugh Hefner did some groovy things. Hugh Hefner abetted this kind of shit. It's called rape culture. And that's what needs to be fucking destroyed. And this is the first big goddamn step in the Me Too movement that we're going to see someone incarcerated who's rich and fucking famous. And yeah. If you feel sorry for him, don't. Because he was aided and abetted every goddamn step of the way by everyone at, uh, at the Cosby Show. I don't mean the actors and actresses on the Cosby Show. I mean the producers and the networks, many of whom are dead now and shit like that. And it goes on and on. And when these guys get outed, don't fucking fret over it. Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose and uh, uh, all these cats, don't even fucking fret over it. They need to be excised. They need to be put in gulag. A lot of these guys haven't faced the slightest legal ramifications. Matt Lauer had a lock that he operated from under his desk at the door so that he could have sex with women in his office and then send them back out into the office and they were supposed to just understand that that's how work was. Yeah, he did. And that's not uncommon for men to have in positions of power. Women are often seen as only the only access to power they have is granting sexual favors to men more powerful than them. And that has to be fucking eradicated from the face of the earth. It's vile. 
and it has nothing to do with our humanity. It's simply a male prerogative that we've taken upon themselves. I was hoping this show was going to be funnier tonight, but I don't care in a big way. Because I wanted to get all this out. It's been boiling. It's been boiling. Ah, Jill Philippic wrote this. So many of us declare Me Too and break our silence on sexual harassment and assault. Ambition is the next frontier. There needs to be a woman PM of Canada. Not a, a, Kim Campbell was brilliant, but Kim Campbell, uh, much like Julia Gillard in Australia, was a kind of a, a, a circumstance, as opposed to being overwhelmingly elected um, like so many female PMs. Uh, the one in New Zealand... Uh, uh, Angela Merkel for better, uh, you know, in, in Germany um, for better or worse Theresa May and I can almost not get it out of my mouth, Margaret Thatcher in England um, whether women are fascists or not is not a determination um, that we're uh, allowed to make, whether women are able to hold power when you look at the amount of mediocre men I point you to Ralph Klein in this country Thank you for remembering. <laughs> Already we're discussing the pursuit of power with actresses starting production companies to create decent roles for women and a record number of female voters radicalized by Orange 45's election running for office. This is progress, but these actions too come with undertones of demureness. Women insist they're creating avenues through which other women might succeed or their daughters can enjoy a better future. And there's no question that that has to happen. For all the young women that are listening and for all the young women that are in the room, all I can hope for is that in 20 years' time when I'm quite dead, you'll, uh, you'll have uh, ascended uh, to power and that you'll be allowed to hold the scepter of power the way men are now, the way mediocre men, not just mediocre men, the way awful men who don't deserve anything, who are uneducated, uninformed, racist, and recherche in every fucking regard are venerated and allowed to hold power. Uh, Lord Black, for instance. And the crowd goes quiet. He's allowed to give his goddamn opinion every fucking day in the newspaper. And he's a straight-up fascist. And there, I fucking said it. You can cross your arms as much as you like. Did he do anything other than be rich? in order to obtain his power? Um, is that what the definition of power is? Uh, on a lighter note, <laughs> comedy pushes forward. Uh, as Jeff Goldblum said, the arrogance in the face of nature, John. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Um, Life will find a way. <laughs> Yvonne Staples uh, was in the Staples Singers, and she's swirling in the heavens. Um, Yvonne Staples' soulful baritone, according to this article, uh, was featured in such as, as Respect Yourself and I'll Take You There with her sisters Mavis and Cleotha uh, and her father Pop Staples. I um, saw Mavis Staples last year with Bob Dylan in New York City, and Mavis Staples is in quite good form. Years ago, and I've told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again anyway, and I don't give a fuck. Cue up that staple singer song there, John. Um, Jennifer and I were doing a radio show. I'd done a documentary um, in, uh, uh, for BBC Radio about On the Road. 
And I was invited to be on a morning radio show on Sunday. Uh, and a, a Scottish host was there. And Yvonne was there with Mavis. And um, the Scottish host said to Mavis, uh, Isn't it true, Mavis, that you had an affair with Bob Dylan in the early 60s and that you were going to marry him? And Jennifer was sitting with Yvonne on the side. And Mavis Staples turned bright fucking red and couldn't say a word. And Yvonne turned to Jennifer, and Jennifer looked at her like this questioningly, and Yvonne went, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I saw them together on tour last year, Bob Dylan and Mavis Staples. Um, this is Yvonne Staples and the heavenly music of the Staples singers. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool Papa Bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Gary U.S. bonds. I leave you with Yvonne Staples. Crank that shit up. Peace and love.